Well, it's good to be with you guys today. Uh, really is good to see your, see all of your faces today. Um, we're going to be in 1 Peter 3 today, beginning in chapter 3. Uh, we, I really struggled with this text all week long, really until I was putting the sermon together. I had planned on doing verses 1 through 7. And really about three quarters of the way through writing out the sermon, I had decided to stop at verse 6. So we'll do 7 the next time. Um, I know that may sound like a, you know, we're doing six verses on the wives and one on the husbands, but trust me, I'll have plenty to say next time for the husbands. Um, but I definitely didn't want to rush through it. I didn't want to make the sermon too awful long. If you guys think I preach long, have you listened to Paul Washer when he goes in some of these churches? It'll be like two hours long. So it may have been that way if I had done verse 7. So we'll save that for next time. Um, but we are talking about marriage today. So it's going to be a day full of um, discussion on marriage and equipping our afterwards and then, and then the sermon. We are, we are talking about marriage. Uh, the title of the message is called A Wife Pleasing to God. And we will get to that here in just a few moments. But in a book uh, on marriage, uh, it was, this story was told. It says this, A group of motion picture engineers classify the following as the ten most dramatic sounds in the movies. A baby's first cry. The blast of a siren. The thunder of breakers on rocks. I'm not sure what that is. Maybe some of you guys know, but I'm not sure what that is. But the roar of a forest fire. A foghorn. A slow dip of water. The galloping of horses. The sound of a distant train whistle the howl of a dog, and the wedding march. You know what the wedding march is, right? Da, 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 da. And it says, they, they went ahead and said this, and one of these sounds causes more emotional response and upheaval than any other. It has the power to bring forth almost every human emotion. Sadness, envy, regret, sorrows, tears, as well as supreme joy, the wedding march. Now, I hope the wedding march brings you joy. I hope the uh, wedding march brings you joy about your own marriage. But the reality, guys, is all of those things, those emotions, it's a, it's a reality. When people hear the wedding march, it conjures up all kinds of emotions. So those of us who have have been married, those of us who are married now, marriage is, is, can be difficult, can it not? Marriage is hard work. It's very hard work. And that's even in a good marriage. Okay? I think we could all agree with that. Amongst all the joys of marriage, and I have a wonderful marriage, marriage can be very difficult and very hard work at times. When you think about it, two people who really don't know each other very well are coming into a covenant relationship to spend the rest of their lives together. <laughs> and if you've been married long, the longer you're married, the more you realize you really didn't know each other like you thought you did. Trisha and I thought we, and we did, you know, compared to probably a lot of marriages, we, we thought we knew each other really well because we started with the thing that matters with Christ, but still we didn't know each other. You start living together year after year after year. So it can be, it can be difficult, but, is it, but it can be very, very joyful. The most joyful thing 
Really one of the most joyful gifts that God can give. And you know, marriage can be difficult in times of peace. In other words, when everything's going good in the world. And we got to remember who Peter was writing to in 1 Peter. Right? He was writing to the, a church and believers who were under severe persecution. And so that just brings more challenges even in a marriage. And so I would say this, guys. Um, because we're, we're going through verses 1-6, through six, we're, really, we're really dealing with the wife today. But can I, can I say to you guys, first of all, I want to say to any single people out here, don't check out. Okay, Children, don't check out. If you're not married, don't check out. The Word of God always has something for all of us. Okay, And I would also say, husbands, I may not be, or let's say the Word of God may not be speaking directly to us today. But here's your application right now before the, before the message even starts. Because we're going to be talking about wives submitting to their husbands. Be a man, husband. Okay, Husbands in here, be a man that your wife delights to submit to. Okay, And we'll talk more to us next time. But be a, be a husband that makes it delightful for your wife to submit to your leadership. And so again, don't check out. Husbands, single men... Single women, don't check out why. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. Okay, For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So let's approach the Word of God, whether we think it's speaking directly to our situation or not, understanding that there is power and truth in the Word of God that we need to hear. So with that being said, guys, if you'll open your Bibles, if you, if you do not have them open there already, to 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be looking at through verse 6. I will go ahead and read verse 7 today as well. So if you guys wouldn't mind standing, if you're able, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even... If any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. You guys can be seated. Father, we just ask for your grace today. I ask for grace for all of us, Lord. I ask for your grace and helping me, Lord, to communicate your word to your people here today, Lord, in a clear way that we can easily understand and that you would build up your church today through your, through your word. We ask that. Jesus will be glorified, and it's in His name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so we are talking about wives today. Verses 1-6. through six. Let me ask you, if you're a wife in here today, do you want to be a wife that pleases God? Amen, I know you do. So that's the, that's the title of the message. A wife who's pleasing to God. A wife pleasing to God. So let's just jump into the text. Verse 1. Verse 1, In the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Let's stop there. Uh, just real quickly, he says, in the same way. So really, that's just by way of review. We don't need to review it too long, but you, you go back up to verse 13, and as we've looked at the last few weeks, as citizens are to be submissive to civil authorities, as servants are to be submissive to the masters, in the same way you wives be submissive to your husbands. And, and in all of these examples, we're to follow Christ's example like we looked at last time, right? We're to follow His example. But it's in the same way. We're looking at the, uh, the sphere of the home now where God has established authority. And so, our first heading today, our first main point is, is this. Be submissive to your own husbands in verse 1. Be submissive to, to your own husbands if you're taking notes. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. We talked about the meaning already. But the phrase, it just simply means to be subject to, to rank under. It's a military term. That's, that's what it is. To submit. In other words, to submit to the husband's authority and leadership. That's what Peter is saying here. Right? Very unpopular in our day. The word submit. It, especially when you start talking about wives to husbands. It's like, oh boy. The culture does not want to hear that. Anytime that phrase is even brought up, you can quickly be accused of being, you know, domineering, a male chauvinist, these type of labels. And so, obviously the culture in, in many aspects is against that, even that way of thinking. But also, in all fairness, there's been many, many wicked men down through the ages and, and, and still are that abuse that, is there not? Many wicked and controlling men abuse this clear command from Scripture for wives to submit to their husbands. I know stories of um, even, even men behind pulpits abusing it and, and the really ungodly counsel that I have that I've heard about over the years of submitting to really abusive men and just really, really, really poor um, interpretations of these verses. Obviously, you can think of a false religion like Islam. They abuse this teaching. So the world in large is against it. There have been wicked men abuse it. So again, husbands, not talking to you specifically today, but don't abuse this command from the Lord, okay? We will be held accountable to how we lead our homes. And so we don't want to abuse this, this text. So the point is, guys, and we'll talk about this further, is that as we talk about wives submitting to their husbands, we're not talking about wives or women in general being inferior in any type of way to husbands or to men. We are equal in worth, okay? We're equal in worth, but we have different roles. And I think most of you 
probably already understand that. Equal in worth. Genesis 1.27, what does it say? God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. So even back at creation, we see that men and women are both made in the image of God. We are equal in worth before God as being created by Him. Galatians 3.28 even sheds more light as believers. It says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay? We are equal in worth before God as being created by God and as, and as believers in the church of Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ. Okay? Men do not have any special privilege before the throne of God over women, but we are equal. We do have different roles. We can see this in 1 Corinthians 11.3, really just the created order that goes back to creation. Christ is the head of every man. Man is the head of woman. And God is the head of Christ. Obviously, God establishes rank and authority in, in society, in the church, in homes. For order. He does it for our good, guys. You understand that. All of these commands, any command that God gives you is for your good. It's for my good. It's for our good. Now we need to understand that passage I just read that Christ has never been inferior in essence to the Father. But in His incarnation, when He put on human flesh, when He took on a human nature, He willfully, He willingly and willfully submitted to the Father's will. You can see that throughout His life. Right down to the, to, to, the, to the night in the garden before His arrest, right? When he was, he was contemplating the cross and He knew what was before Him. He knew that he, it meant Him bearing the wrath of His Father. And He cried out in His humanity, Father, if there's any other way, but what did He say? Not My will, but Yours be done. See, we, he, we see even Christ as a man submitting to the Father's authority. So again, God has given us different roles and it's for our good. It's for our good. For order in society. And in this case today, in this text, order in the home. And he says in verse 1, be submissive to your own husbands. Okay? Be submissive to your own husbands. He's not saying be submissive to men in general. Be submissive to all men. Wife, he is telling you the imperative from Scripture is to be submissive to your own husband whom God has given you as a gift to protect you, to lead you. And as we'll see though, as we go out throughout this message, it's for the good of all parties. It's for the good of the husband and the good of the wife. And so I'll just say, I'll just say right off, because we have a small church, I'm pretty familiar with everybody in here. Um, because really, you're going to see the, the thrust of this text. He's really dealing with and helping women how to deal with an unbelieving spouse. Okay? And so we're going to talk about that. But I do understand here that I don't think there are any spouses like that in here. Maybe there is, because I don't know men's hearts. We're going to go through the text as if there is, because I do want you to understand, even if everybody in here is, even if all you women are married to a believer, these are principles that we all need to hear. 
These are principles that will help you maybe in helping a friend, another, another wife who's married to somebody. So don't anybody check out, okay? But in case there is somebody in here, you say, what if my husband doesn't fear God? What if my husband rejects my faith in Christ and even mocks me? What do I do then? Well, the text tells us, okay? The text tells us. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of, all of their wives. Different commentators said different things. Some of them think that Peter was, was only talking to wives who had unbelievers, and, and, and some guys would say the opposite. I think the point is, he says, even if. Usually in every audience you're going to have, you're going to have a mixture. So the point is, is that even if, even if some are unbelievers, he, he's calling you to submit. And it says, even if, any if, even if any of them are disobedient to the Word. That is simply describing an unbeliever in the text. Okay, That's what it's describing. It's an unbeliever. Somebody who does not have faith in Christ. Somebody who is not following Christ. It's an unbeliever who rejects Christ. But it's really even stronger than that. It's somebody who is disobedient and rebellious towards God's Word in general. You're dealing with somebody who... They don't, they don't want your faith. They don't agree with your faith. There's a major disagreement on a foundational level in this marriage. And so, that's what's going on here. The, the first point is be submissive to your husbands. There's going to be, we're going to look at two sub-points under this first heading. The first one is this, by way of a question. Really, we just touched on it. But it's this, why should I submit to this man? If there, was, if there was somebody here in that condition, why should I submit to this man who shows such disrespect for Christ Himself? Why should I submit? Well, can I give you a short answer? Because God says so. As Christians, I know that we desire to please God because God says so. Because God commands it. He doesn't say... Submit to your unbelieving husband only if he deserves it. Right? That's not what's in the text. But because God says so. Children, children in the same way. Young people, you are commanded to honor your father and your mother. And the Scripture doesn't say if they deserve it. Or if they've earned it. The command from heaven is for children to honor their father and their mother. And it's the first commandment with a promise. That things may go well with you. That's the way God has established it. But in the same way, God has commanded it. Not, not that they may deserve it, but He's commanded it. But there's another reason we see in the text. In the immediate context, guys. And it's this. To win them to Christ. To win them to Christ. So even if I'm dealing with all Christian couples here today, please take note of these so that God can maybe use you to minister to a friend. Because we all face those, those, those throughout our lives. We deal with these kind of situations. When somebody comes and they want your counsel, what should I do? Peter is writing this to these, to these women to win them to Christ. 
In verse 1, still, if any of them are disobedient to the word, or he says, be submissive to your own husbands, even if, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Without a word does not necessarily meaning without the word of God, okay? But it, what it's really referring to is the wife's spoken words, okay? Continual preaching to your husband who you know doesn't want to hear it. Or can I say this, guys? Continual nagging. Continual nagging. That's what Peter's saying. No, they're not, they're not going to be one if you continue to pound your husband in the ground about his lost condition and about his rebellion. This continual preaching, continual nagging. So, so just by way of application, ladies, just I'm going to mention this a few more times, but don't nag, okay? <laughs> don't nag. Even if you're married in, in a good marriage, I will say, I think with confidence that most husbands would agree that, that nagging doesn't work. Nagging is not good. And I guess a husband could nag too. But it, it typically does not create a good response from your husband. Maybe they don't express it outwardly, but inwardly. That's just not God's design. Okay? So that's, that's really what he's talking about. Now, we, we have to be... we got to keep things in balance, right? We know that any person who comes to Christ comes via the Gospel, right? We think of Romans 1.16... Right? The gospel is the power of God and salvation to all who believe. Romans 10, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. We don't even have to go out of this letter. You look back up in verse 23. Remember Peter said, you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. So we know that nobody's going to come to faith through Christ apart from God's word. Okay? But I like what Calvin says about this passage here. There's got to be a balance. Okay? So he says this, Peter's words are not to be so understood as though a holy life alone could lead the unbelieving to Christ, but that it softens and pacifies their minds so that they might have less dislike to religion. You hear that? So our behavior counts. And this could go, this could go both ways. We're dealing with wives but it could be a husband married to an unbelieving wife. The principles are the exact same. So obviously, they have to hear and understand the Gospel. But in this context, guys, we're talking about behavior. We're talking about behavior of the wife. Being used by God to win a lost husband. It's not a guarantee that it's going to happen. But what he's saying is your preaching and your nagging is not going to win him. Okay? And obviously, this is somebody who's adamantly resisting Christ. There comes a point when, ladies, you win them with your behavior, with your love, with your gentleness, as we're going to talk about. So the second thing we're going to look at under the first heading by way of another question, what does this submission look like? What does it look like in verse 2? As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Chaste, that just means pure Free from moral defilement. Pure, free from moral defilement. So if we think about that, guys, because again, the husbands, just like the government, 
Just like a, the authority in a workplace, you don't write them a blank check and, and just submit to them no matter what. If your husband is asking you to clearly sin against God, then you're not obligated to submit to him. So really, we could look at this chaste behavior. A husband could be asking his sin to, or asking his wife to sin against God. But because of her chaste behavior, she refuses. So God can even use that. Even that, 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 that behavior that wants to honor God. He says chaste and respectful behavior. Really the meaning, it's a, it's a fear or reverence for God. We're still in verse 2. A fear or reverence for God, which then produces a respect for your husband. It always starts with God, but it results in, a, in having a, a, a healthy respect for your husband, but it starts with a fear of God. In other words, to honor and to respect the husband as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Paul says the same thing with a, with a little bit more, a little clear meaning in Ephesians 5.22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. You see that? As to the Lord. It, remember, it was the same thing in the workplace. Do a good job for your boss as if you're working for the Lord Himself. It's, it's having that awareness. You remember, you guys, we, we talked about in verse 19 in chapter 2. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God a person does these things. It's that, it's that continual awareness or that, that, con, that continual awareness that God is near, that God is watching. That you're, you're doing what you do out of, out of both a fear and a love for Christ. That's what motivates you. So that's what this behavior is. It's as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. You're respectful towards them because you're, you're honoring Christ. And you have a fear of God. Obviously, it's like, the, it's like the two greatest commandments. Love for God, love for neighbor. Love for God, love for spouse. Right? And in this case, if he's lost, right? If he's lost, you don't want your spouse to perish. That's the motivation behind this. If you're in a difficult marriage and your husband is lost, you must love the man you married him, right? You married the man. You don't want him to perish. We don't want our children to perish. We don't want our lost spouses to perish. So that's why we can endure this somebody who's resistant to our faith because because out of love for them. And it says this, guys, verse 2, as they observe these things. That phrase, it means to pry into. To pry into, to seriously consider a thing. So just think, guys, if, if, if and it, it could go either way, but when you have a, a, a spouse who is a believer and they're displaying the nature of Christ in the way they act, it says the other one, they may be Prying into these things. Why is this? She is so different. Maybe they don't admit these things, but I am so harsh to her, and yet she's so kind to me. They're prying into these things to seriously consider a thing. They're considering Christ because of the way their wife acts. Wives, this is the point, guys. This really is the, the, the application for this entire text for wives is this. Especially if you are married to an unbeliever. Wives, live in such a way 
that your unbelieving husband would be glad that you follow Christ, even if they choose not to. Live in such a way that an unbelieving husband would be glad that you follow Christ because of the way you treat them, even if they chose not to. They see the benefits of being married to such a kind person, such a selfless person. And then I think really by way of application for you guys in here today, wives, how much more should you be willing to submit to your husband's leadership if your husband is a believer? And you know your husband loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about this next time, ladies. Us men, we got a lot of weaknesses. Okay, We mess it up a lot of times. Your husband may not be this. He may not be that. But understand, Peter is calling women who are married to men who are stiff-necked to the Lord to submit to them. How much more if you know your husband loves the same Christ that you love? Can I encourage you in that today? To submit to that man? To submit to his leadership that God has established. So point number two in verses three and four. Aim Aim for inner adornment. Aim for inner adornment. Verse 3, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Aim for the inner adornment. I usually look at, usually every week when I'm preparing, I look at the NAS, the ESV, the King James and the New King James. So I, I didn't do that this week. I think I was just dealing with more verses. So I usually uh, have like having the comparison on hand. So I'm not exactly sure how your, your particular version may be wording some of these things. Uh, because there's a, there's a word in here in verse 3 that's in the NAS that's really important in the text. I'll get to it here in just a moment. But first of all, this word adornment. This word adornment, it just refers to the focus of attention for one's attractiveness, okay? The thing one uses to make oneself beautiful to others, okay? It's, it's whatever you're, whatever you're using, whatever you're trusting in, whatever you're focusing your attention on for one's attractiveness. That's what this adornment is. And he's saying, don't, your adornment must not be merely external, okay? So don't, don't put all your hopes and your attractiveness to your husband in the outer things. That's what he's saying. And these things that were mentioned here in verse 3, again, the NAS, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, these things mentioned here for both in that culture, for both the Jew and the Gentile, often could symbolize sexual promiscuity or a disregard for the husband's authority. Okay, just really think about just really worldly and carnal things going on here. In those days, people displayed their wealth through these things as well. Today, some people may just try to display their wealth through these things, or it may, it may be through things like cars, houses, vacations. But the point is, guys, is he's, he's talking about these fleshly, carnal, worldly mindsets. That's what these things represent. 
And there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. That's why, again, I didn't, I didn't look at your, your ESV or King James or New King James or maybe there's some more in here. Um, but the NAS, the translators put the word merely in there and that's so important. Because it's not saying that these things are bad, but he, but he says your adornment must not be merely external. Okay, That's not where your focus needs to be. But by way of application, look in your own life, ladies. And again, it could apply to men as well in different areas. But how much time do you spend? How much money do you spend? And how much energy goes in to these type of external things in your life? As compared to the things of your soul. As compared to the time you're spending in God's Word. As compared to the time you're going to the Lord in prayer. You know what I mean. These things that are, that are kingdom-centered. How much time? Because there's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with wearing gold jewelry because, again, there's always extremes. There's always the people who just, they have to be rigid and you, you get a lot of, into your fundamentalist groups and they say, well, we can't wear nice clothes. Well, we can't wear jewelry. Well, we can't fix our hair a certain way. That's not what this is trying to communicate. It's just where, not where your focus needs to be. And so he says this in verse 4. The hidden person of the heart. But let it be the hidden person of the heart. That phrase, hidden person of the heart, guys, is simply referring to who you really are on the inside. Your soul. The real you. The one that's going to go on into eternity. The one whom God sees. The hidden person of the heart. And he says... He says, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. He's used that word imperishable several times in this letter. Just the idea that it will not fade away. It's eternal. It will not fade away as compared to the ever-changing and temporal quality of these other things listed in verse 3. Right? Those things are temporal. Braiding the hair, temporal. Wearing gold jewelry, temporal. Putting on dresses, temporal. It's like the flower of the grass in chapter 1. They're all going to fade away. Outer beauty is going to fade away. But this, but this imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, that's what he's after. You think about all these other things, guys. You know that when you think about the, um, the 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 beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit that that will last for eternity compared to these other beauties that are fading, you know, for men, for men, might, what might it be? It might be working out and having muscles, right? There's nothing wrong with working out. We should take care of our bodies. Nothing wrong with losing weight if you need to lose weight. Nothing wrong with gaining weight if you need to gain weight. Nothing wrong with these things, but it's gonna fade. It's gonna fade. Some of us. Know that as we get a little older. You know, I've been trying to take taking up some jogging. Okay? And and now my knees are hurting. <laughs> and so Trish, being a very intelligent wife, she's like, there's certain shoes you can get. Certain. And so it's just like, I just 
you know, I wanted to try to take care of my health by starting to jog, and now my knees are hurting. So it's like, even 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. So these things are fading, and it'll get worse and worse. You know, I think of even something like tattoos. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong if you get a tattoo, but it's like, you know, some people might want to think about where they're getting them and how their skin's going to kind of change over the years. It might not even say the same thing in third years. <laughs> and so these things are fading. Okay? They're fading. And we can think of a myriad of other examples. Our, our health will fade. Our outer beauty will fade. But this inner beauty will not fade. Isn't it a beautiful thing if you've ever seen, and I mean truly elderly couples who love each other, that is one of the most beautiful things. And if it's beautiful to us, how beautiful is it to God? Especially a Christian couple who love one another. And, and, and she's still the most beautiful woman. And he's still the most gorgeous man. And I pray that's the way our marriages will be. And that's what Peter's getting at here. And so wives... He says, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, are you gentle with your husband? Are you gentle? I don't think there needs to be a lot of explanation of what gentle is, right? And that, and that word gentle, I didn't write this down, but it was really just, that particular word was just used a few times. And, 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 and one of the times, really the main uses of it was describing Christ Himself. Wives, are you gentle with your husband? Or are you a nagger? Nagging is not gentle. Okay, I'm not trying to beat up anybody today, guys. None of us are perfect in any of this. But gentle is the opposite of nagging. What does the Scripture say in Proverbs, guys? Better to live on the corner of a roof than with a contentious or a nagging wife. Hey, Solomon wrote it. I didn't write it. You're not going to win. The text is saying, guys, ladies, you're not going to win him and you're not going to honor God by nagging or always demanding your way. Always pointing out his faults. And this can, even apart from being married to an unbeliever, just in any marriage, pointing out fault, faults, fault finding, nagging, Demanding your way is the opposite of what this text is saying. But it says by having a gentle and quiet spirit. That word quiet, the best really uh, synonym I could find to the meaning is unagitated. Are you easily agitated by your husband? Or are you gentle and quiet with him? This comes, this gentle and quiet spirit, it says, which is, Precious in the sight of God. It comes from a continual trust in God for one's needs. It's really a picture of a, of a lady. It could be a man as well, but in this case, of a wife who has a very close, intimate walk with Christ on a daily basis. You're trusting Christ for your deepest needs, the deepest needs of your heart. It's a continual chasing after Christ and His glory in your life. It's a continual awareness of His presence in your life. That's what enables a wife to be gentle. 
and have this quiet, humble spirit with her, with, with her husband. And really this gentle, quiet spirit is just a beautiful life. It's a beautiful life. It's, a, it's kind. And, and it says this is precious in the sight of God. Why? Because does God not, not delight in being trusted? I think we forget that sometimes. God delights when we come to Him and trust Him. We just trust Him. We trust Him for all of our needs. It's really a picture when, like the song we sing, when Christ is our all in all. When Christ is your all in all. And when Christ has reign of your spirit, you're able to respond with a gentle and quiet spirit. When we realize, guys, and this goes both ways, when you realize that your spouse can't fully satisfy you, but only Christ can, that's when you can love Him and love her the way we're called. Don't try to find your, your ultimate worth and, your, and, and, your, and to be filled with your spouse. He can't do it. And she can't do it. Only Christ can do that. And then thirdly, we see in verses 5 and 6, learn from women of old. Learn from the women of old. In verse 5, for in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Okay? In this way. In what way? Well, what we just read in verses 3 and 4. In this way. In, in the hidden person of the heart. With the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. In this way. In former times, that just means the Old Testament. The holy women also, who are unnamed. So I'm not going to try to guess who he's speaking of here by these holy women. But, but we can look at this by way of application, guys. Why were they holy? You see, in verse 5 it says, in former times, the holy women also. Why were they holy? I think you can see it all in this same verse. First of all, and ladies, this is for you. Why were they holy? First of all, it says they hoped in God. They hoped in God. Are you hoping in God? Do you hope in God in your, in your personal life, in your daily life, in your marriage, with your children? Are you hoping in God? It says, secondly, they adorned themselves in the same way as we looked at in verse 4. Their adorning was the, the inner qualities. And then thirdly, they were submissive to their own husbands. That's what we see in verse 5. They hoped in God. They adorned themselves in the same way and they were submissive to their own husbands. And then in verse 6, we, we do see a specific example. Sarah. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Wow, that's a strong statement. Sarah called Abraham Lord. Okay, can I tell you, husbands, what the application is not? Oh, <laughs> Kelsey needs to go home and call me Lord today. <laughs> that's not the application, okay? So don't, don't think, <laughs> I think you guys are all aware of that. So don't, don't take that away from this. Because there are those who do. There are those who do. Now in that culture, and we'll look at it here in just a moment, in that culture, 
In that time, women respectfully addressed their husbands as Lord, meaning Master. Today in our culture, again, different time, different part of the world, different culture, maybe, maybe an, uh, a comparison would be something like, you know, especially in the South here where we live, some, a son who respectfully is um, communicating with his father says this, yes, sir. To his mother, yes, ma'am. That's, that's showing a sign of respect towards their authority. In that culture, the wives referred to the husbands as Lord. The principle is this, to respect and to be submissive to authority. That's the principle, but the application varies depending on when and where you're at. But he gets this, he gets this phrase from Genesis 18, if you want to turn there real quickly. Genesis 18, verse 12. And we'll just look at three or four verses and make our application. Or really, Peter's making the application. Genesis 18, verse 12. Now at this time, Sarah was 89 years old. Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abraham. It was 24 years before this that the Lord called Abraham to himself and was going to make him a father of many nations and promised to give him a son through Sarah, which was going to be a year later, okay? Uh, but, but in verse, I think, let's see, verse 12, I think I want to start in about verse 9. We'll just look at a few verses. So the Lord came and appeared to Abraham. In verse 9 it says, Then they said to him, the Lord and two angels, then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, there in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So that Isaac was born a year later. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. So we see the text right there. She was past physically having a child. And then this was Sarah's response. This is the verse Peter's referring to. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? Okay, again. In verse 12, in this passage we see, Peter's point is this. We see Sarah making literally just what seems to be an offhanded comment about the whole idea of her conceiving because of her age. Okay? Really just a casual comment, offhanded comment, and she refers in verse 12, this, this phrase by calling Abraham Lord, she refers to Abraham with respect and dignity instead of simply calling him an old man, which she did refer to, to his age, but she also called him Lord. Okay? In other words, this little, this little story here that we see, this demonstrated Sarah's respect for Abraham's leadership as her husband, showing that the honor that she had for Abraham. Okay, how do I know that? I'm not guessing on that part. This is what Peter's referring to. That you see, that was an indication of her respect towards Abraham. And that's what Peter's pointing at in this text. She is an example. Sarah, and it goes on to say in verse 6, back in 1 Peter, 
It says, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Sarah, in a sense, is your spiritual mother and your example how to submit to your husband in respect. That's Peter's point here. And guys, just know this. Sarah wasn't perfect. None of these ladies, none of these men were perfect. You can read, you can read about Sarah, <coughs> how she really, like, like all of these Old Testament people that we look at, they were just like you and I. How she did not trust God for the birth of their first child. How she encouraged Abraham to lay with her Egyptian maid. But the point is, guys, is this pleased God. The way Sarah was submitting to Abraham, it pleased God. And this last phrase in verse 6, without being frightened by any fear. Wives, by hoping in and trusting in God, which is what we've been talking about, it enables you to submit to your husband's authority without fear. And especially, again, the context, if you're married to an unbeliever who's resistant to the gospel and God is commanding you to submit, your, your hope and your trust in God would enable a person to be able to submit to the husband's authority without fear. Why? And we've already talked about these, but it comes back to this. Why? Because it's for the Lord's sake. Why can we submit to harsh masters that we looked at a couple weeks ago? Because it's for the Lord's sake. For the sake of conscience toward God. And secondly, it's for, in this case, it's for their salvation. It's for the good of that man. It's for the good of that man that you're able, because you love him, to submit to Him, even though He's difficult. Again, it's not writing a blank check and saying if your wife is, or if your husband is physically abusing you that you just have to take it. That's not what this is talking about. But it's everyday just submission to somebody's authority who doesn't even fear God. He is still placed there by God as the head of the home, the leader of the home. And it's out of a love for Him. It's out of a love for that man. It's out, it's, it's out of a desire to see that man come to Christ that you're willing to take up your cross even in your own marriage and to deny yourself. 1 John 4.18 says this beautifully. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And so in closing, in conclusion... Love enables people to do amazing things, does it not, guys? I think we all could think of people we know, things we've read, movies we've watched. Love enables people to do amazing things. I was thinking this morning just of an example, and I think of Jim and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot, who were missionaries to the, to the Alca Indians in Ecuador. And if you guys remember their story, Jim was killed. Real, real quickly, out of, a, out of a desire to take the gospel to these people who'd never heard. And out of love for them, he was killed by the very people he was loving. And then his wife went ahead with the ministry 
And, and all, a lot of these same men came to Christ. And I was just hearing somebody talk about that just the other day. About how Elizabeth even learned to submit to some of these, these new believers in this tribe who came to Christ. Even though they didn't know much about the Bible, she still was willing to come under them and submit to their, to their leadership in the, in the way of teaching them. It was a beautiful story. But, but what caused that? Love for God and love for their neighbor. It enables one, again, to, to endure much opposition for the good of the other person. Out of love for people and a love for Christ, countless people have given their lives for people who hate them. Remember the story I told last week? about Wormbrand in the prison. For those of you who weren't here, Richard Wormbrand, when he was in that Romanian prison, and he had been there for, or he was there for 14 years, but it was after several years and he was just being tortured. And the, and the guard who tor- would torture him on a regular basis came by and heard him praying. And he peeked in there and he said, Wormbrand, what in the world are you doing praying? Your God has forsaken you. He's, You've lost everything. What are you possibly praying for? And he said, I'm praying for you, sir. That's the Spirit. It's the same Spirit here. It's the love for Christ that would cause somebody to give their lives for somebody who hates them. And who did that? Most of all, Christ, right? He gave His life for His enemies. Jesus Christ did. He laid down His life for those who mocked Him and hated Him. And so we're to follow in His footsteps. And so wives, give your lives as a fragrant offering to your Lord. Wherever you're at today, in this whole... None of us are perfect. Right? We fail. We sin every day. And this this message is in by no wise trying to... uh, Beat anybody up if you're not living up to this perfectly. Nobody does. But wherever you're at today, give your lives as a fragrant offering to your Lord today by faithfully submitting to your husband. Even if he presently hates the one whom you adore. In this way, your life will be precious to your Father in heaven. It may be used for his conversion. And again, I think I'm speaking to our church. If your husband loves Jesus Christ, how much more willing should you be to submit to your husband's leadership? That's what it is, guys. That's really all it is. It's God has given leadership in all these different realms. Civil realm, in the church, in the home, for order. And we all have authority to submit to somewhere. And so just remember this. Remember how willing you should be to submit to your husband's authority who loves Christ, even amidst all of his shortcomings and his failures, which, men, we will address those next time, okay? But let, why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we. We are humbled by Your Word, Lord. We're, we're grateful for Your Word. We thank You for the clear instruction in Your Word. 
We thank You for the examples in the Old Testament, Lord, for men and women who had a nature just like ours, Lord, who were sinners just like we are, who hoped in You and trusted in You and followed You. And so, Lord, I, I thank You for these, 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 these examples that were written for our instruction. And Lord, I just, I just pray, God, that Your Word would um, capture our hearts today. I pray that for the wives in here, Lord, I just pray, Father, that they would find encouragement from this text, Lord, that um, those who have been given a godly husband, Lord, would be um, <clears throat> just quick to be patient with, with their husbands and to uh, overlook their faults and their shortcomings, Lord, and would be just eager to, to, um, to submit to them, to their leadership, and would help them in that. And Lord, help us as a church to minister to one another, Lord, to help brother with brother, sister with sister, Lord, to help in these areas. Father, we thank You for loving us. We thank You for giving us Your Word, and we thank You for giving us Your Son. And we, Lord, we just pray, Lord, as we, take your, as we take the supper today, that we will be reminded of this very thing, of what Christ has done for us. We love You and praise You in Christ's name. Amen.